0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. This weekend marks the 95th birthday of local historian Dr Dan Waters, who's been a regular on the programme since he was 80. I'd like to wish him a very happy birthday, and we'll return to him later in the programme to talk about some of the Hong Kong sounds he remembers from decades past. First, photographer Lawrence Lai started documenting the city as a boy when his uncle lent him his camera. Since then, Lawrence Lai has gone on to capture many images over the past three decades of our urban landscape, some of which have long since disappeared, such as the jet planes travelling over Kowloon City on their way to land at Kai Tak. Lawrence Lai also helps underprivileged children in Hong Kong, to share his passion for photography i joined him at his gallery on pier 7 in central
1: Well, after graduating from the uh, high school i bought my uh, first nikon camera f90 is a film camera so with uh, one standard lens uh, 35 to 70 mm lenses and then uh, during the weekend i love to uh, bring my camera walking around especially uh, hollywood road that area as well as wan chai and Yomate as well, because there are uh, lots of things. Especially I love the uh, old architect and the people who are um, on the street and the people who are working on the street. I'm really interested about this. and So that's talking about at the early 90s. So, I
0: so in the early 90s, you you're just first experimenting with your Nikon. So what kind of old architecture did you photograph at that time?
1: Uh, for example, at Wan Chai, uh, the prom shop. Uh, three levels and wooden windows and really attract me because around Wan Chai area there's a lot of glass building. Is you know to me it's boring. But wow, when I look at that uh, old architect is uh, just three levels and with the Chinese calligraphy on the wall and the painting is fail and really really interesting. All about this kind of uh, old architect.
0: Yes, and it's also you probably a lot of your photographs will have marked over the years, architecture that's disappeared from Hong Kong's landscape?
1: Oh, yes. Um, at the very beginning, I photographed this old stuff, uh, architect and the street scenery. I'm not thinking about, well, after 10, 15 years, uh, most of them disappear. And at the very beginning, just I like it, I love it. So, But after, to, be, to become a photographer and run my gallery, I start to print these uh, images, put it into my gallery, and some local foreigner, um, they live here for 10, 20 years. So when they look at these old images, they say, oh, amazing. Oh, this is the palm shop. This is um, uh, Sancho's or Mo- Willington Street. But most buildings gone and the iconic uh, landmark gone. So that uh, they bought that kind of photos. And I realized, whoa, this kind of images is very important. That I took um, at the early 90s.
0: Is it quite challenging to photograph in Hong Kong in terms of the weather?
1: Yes, uh, especially in the summertime. Especially summertime is hot and humid. And as a photographer, I carry some, sometimes two camera, uh, two to three lenses and some film. So it's quite challenging in the summertime to uh, work around on the street. is quite hard. hard work. Have
0: you stuck with film or you now do digital as well?
1: Oh, no. And my age is start with film. (laughs) Only film, no digital. Never heard about that.
0: (laughs) So you're carrying on with film now?
1: Uh, Even today, uh, most uh, professional or amateur photographers uh, like digital. But for all my black and and white work, I still um, stick with film. And I develop all this and uh, print it by myself as well.
0: Oh, so Until, you, you have your own dark room?
1: I have a small little dark room in my studio, very small.
0: <laughs> Hong Kong size. Yes. <laughs> so we're here at the Star Ferry. Now, it's interesting because you say that after high school is when your passion for photography began. But in fact, you were a businessman be- be- before becoming a, a full time photographer.
1: Yes. yes. So after graduating, um, uh, from, the, from the school And then I'm working in a trading company As a um, merchandiser So at this status I learn a lot About um, production Costing, manufacturing So that this is really good for me Later on I run my gallery business Because I have a base About the retailing uh, All the production So I can control the price Really good the costing Marketing Everything is really good for me for now, to run a gallery business, it's really helped a lot. Yeah, you learned all those
0: skills. But uh, tell me now that uh, when you were up on the Gold Coast, you actually found that one, one day you, you were a successful businessman, but then you just decided to set up a
1: photo store one weekend. Uh, at the very beginning, I um, sold my photo during the weekend at the uh, Gold Coast, uh, just Saturday and Sunday. So I just treasured it as a hobby. And I don't have any pressure.
0: So did you just have a table there?
1: Just one table, um, four by square square feet, that's it, on every Saturday and Sunday, and sell my photos. And the tricky thing is a customer passed by my table and we start a conversation so I introduce my work to them. They're sh- uh, really interesting about this and ask me many questions uh, how I take these photos and what camera I use and we start a conversation and finally we make the deal. But at the very beginning we don't, I don't sell uh, that much expensive just $100 each for small print and they purchased they bought several uh, pieces. The point is not how much I earn from the uh, Go calls from a free market. The point is, I got respect, satisfaction from the customer. They like my work, so I feel happy. I feel honor. Uh, rather than in my garment business, okay, export a 24, 40 square feet container to Europe, to U.S., and I earn the money. But but this is totally different things. Selling upris and my customer respect my work, respect my photography. I feel happy Mm. and the satisfaction. I never get this kind of feeling from my garment industry business.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Now, looking around your gallery here, if you'd like to see Lawrence's work, it's uh, here on the Star Ferry at Pier 7, and the gallery's named after him, Lawrence Line. Now, you've got lots of urban landscapes that I can see around me in all different sizes, and you've, of course, got that very iconic photograph of a jet plane flying low over, I presume, yes. Monkok is that?
1: Uh, so, actually, all these aircraft photos taken um, in the air, uh, Kai Tak airport, around that area, Kowloon City, we call. Because um, my secondary school, actually, just opposite of the Kai Tak airport. Uh, from, I have five years uh, studying there. So, in the school, did you always hear the planes going over? Every five <laughs> minutes, i looking at the looking out of the window, the aircraft coming and landing into the old Kai-tang, So that I know that place very well, uh, Kowloon City, so that I know which angle is the best to photograph those aircraft. So that um, later on, I know Kitech uh, is going to close very soon. I spend almost uh, three months and bring my camera to Kowloon City and to Kitech and photograph the aircraft of course, that uh, moment I shoot off him, all black and white film.
0: Now, if you don't mind, can I ask how old you are, Lawrence?
1: So uh, I am forty-three years old now. So I was born in Hong Kong, but after graduating from the uh, secondary school, I went to Australia to studying for almost a year. Yeah.
0: And and which part, which district in Hong Kong did you grow up in? Uh, Kowloon, yeah. Kuntung. Uh uh-huh. Oh, very industrial area.
1: Yes, industrial area
0: when you were growing up, how did you first decide, oh, I'm, I'm going to have a Nikon camera? Was there a, anybody in your family who photographed, or was it something that they did at school?
1: Uh, uncle of mine who, who has a Nikon F2 camera uh, when we were small, so my uncle used this Nikon F2 camera, photographed us a lot, and all in black and white. And I remember that uh, after graduate from the school, secondary school, I went to China for three months. I borrowed a camera. Uh, his camera and went to China for for almost three months. So using uh, this camera and because I, lo- I love travel so that uh, at the same time I love photography. So but I don't think too much about to be a, as a this is as a career or professional in the future. I don't think that too much. Just I love it. I like it. I like travel. That's it. Now, looking around me here, as I said, you've got some uh, great urban landscapes in front of us here. We've got...
0: Is this a, a public housing estate that you've gone in quite close on? So it's very geometric.
1: Yes. Uh, because uh, Hong Kong in this place is uh, a really small uh, space in, in the world. Hong Kong is small. But I think it's really interesting, the old and the new. Especially, I grew up here in Hong Kong, I have a special feeling of this place. Uh, every weekend and I spend a day browsing around different area, different district in Hong Kong. And I spend a lot of time to observe, to look, okay. Um, all this to find a special angle of view. So which angle is better? I try to shoot and for example, the first time I don't get a good shot and the, another week I went go there again to find the best angle to photograph Hong Kong. So I want to show the real Hong Kong and to show the culture of Hong Kong to other peoples.
0: Yes, you certainly do portray that. Now, in front of uh, us as well, we've got this wonderful, uh, again, tower block, but uh, public housing, I think. But you, were you lying on your back? Because it's, it's actually, we look straight up at three walls coming mm. round, in three so three angles, and then blue sky at the top. How did you do that?
1: So this photo uh, taken from Corrie Bay first. And then, uh, as I said, I like to browsing around different uh, places in Hong Kong and observe. And I find this angle, this place is very interesting because a lot of like high density, high density building, very uh, small apartments, small flats. And I try to lay down because uh, when I look, this, I set up my camera on the tripod and looking up towards to the sky. And I went there for several times. The first uh, two times I, I didn't get any good shot. Then I think and I, I went there again at the evening at about 6 p.m. And I think that the magic moment will, is the best moment to photograph this um, building and because of I can capture the uh, blue sky before, after sunset and before dark is the best moment to photograph these uh, photos.
0: Yes, it's stunning. Uh, it, what uh, advice would you have for budding photographers in Hong Kong? I mean, should they just go out and shoot, or do you think that they need to get up at certain times of the day?
1: Uh, my comment is uh, no matter what, uh, you want to um, have good result. you have to spend time on it, and you love it, and like a um, hobby. And I don't think, when I'm shooting, I don't think this is my job and work. If you think this is your job, uh, you have to work on it and earn money, so I don't think that you can get good photos so every time I hang out, I just think I am am on holiday.
0: Alright, that's the feeling that it gives you when you're photographing
1: Yes, even uh, nowadays my gallery set up in Hong Kong already uh, 14 years from the first day. Uh, Even today, even now I'm sitting in front of you, I still like I am just not working, I do what I like to do, that's it
0: that's great. There's job satisfaction for you. In addition to you having your gallery, so you've made a business out of your photography, but you've also taken your passion and provided it to children in Sham Shui Po who come from underprivileged backgrounds. Can you tell me about those projects?
1: Oh, yes. First, as because I'm a Christian, so um, uh, we have some friends uh, who are working in the... Um, Nonprofit profit organization, uh, NGO, Hope Worldwide. So uh, we know each other. So um, sometimes we talk about uh, how we can do something to the un- underprivileged kids in uh, Hong Kong or in China. So, and my friend told me that, oh, you Lawrence, uh, you are a photographer. You must have a lot of students and you must have some second-hand camera so that you don't need it. So what about, can you donate one or two to, um, to us and then they can pass it to for, for those uh, underprivileged uh, family in Hong Kong, kids in Hong Kong? I said, yes, why not? So this is the first time that I donate uh, two of my second-hand cameras uh, for those uh, children in Hong Kong. And after doing this, I feel this is really meaningful because uh, to them, they don't have money to buy a brand-new camera. Even they don't have chance to step out of some Shui po to other area to take photos. So that I decided I run a program together with the Hope Worldwide uh, every year. So uh, we collect some uh, secondhand camera and uh, give all these camera to those kids. And as well as I uh, decide some photography workshop, some lessons, some also we have some um, on location shoots. I bring them out to the peak, to central, to Wan Chai. And so teach them how to use those cameras and take photos. And after uh, several workshops, I pick up the best images from them and help them to print print them out and frame it and exhibit at the peak on 2008.
0: Oh, wonderful. So they were able to actually see their work on show um that must have really boosted their confidence i think also uh it's quite incredible in a hong kong way we often have iphones we'll have a couple of digital cameras Uh, it's it's interesting that uh i would imagine that your average person in hong kong has more than one way Mm -hmm. of taking a photo and yet you meet these children who sometimes live in subdivided flats Um, there is no extra money. And in fact, providing them with a camera is often the first photos that have ever been taken of their family. So it can become a a very deeply personal experience. So if people wanted to to, uh, donate their second-hand cameras, Lawrence, is there still an opportunity to do that for Hope Worldwide?
1: Yeah, so we still do it. This is a main programme in between the Hope Worldwide and Lawrence Light Gallery. We keep doing this every year. So uh, if you... Uh, have um, uh, second-hand camera welcome to bring uh, those cameras to my gallery or to the Hope Worldwide office so we are we are welcome them and the program is still going on.
0: So you can bring them to the Lawrence Lai Gallery here at PS7 on Central Side so right next to the Star Ferry or otherwise the Hope Worldwide office in Shep Kip May um, and those uh, cameras can be used so these are digital cameras but these are also
1: film cameras? Uh, so we're mainly focusing on digital yeah
0: yes. well Lawrence, thank you so much for the chat today looking around um I mean when when you look at some of the photos, have you got any that you would say oh that's my favorite one
1: well uh honestly uh all these images just like my son I cannot say i like I like this and I don't like this but uh for the photo of Kitek, Kitek aircraft photo, so I think I like that very much because it's uh, historical. Um, Even I have a much better camera, uh, very uh, high resolution pixel camera, I cannot take the same photos anymore because it's already gone.
0: If you have a camera that you're no longer using, please pass it along to Lawrence Lai. His gallery is at Pier 7 next to the Star Ferry in Central. (laughs) Newspapers saying 100 years ago. Well, there were the court cases that these days read like the script from a BBC Sunday night drama. This one is from the Hong Kong Telegraph of 1915. At the police court this morning before Mr. Lindsell, Myrtle Nicholas of 33 Wyndham Street was charged with being drunk and disorderly at the Canton Wharf last night. His worship. Your name is Myrtle Nicholas. Defendant. No, Hetty Ellis. That is the name I'm going under now. His Worship. But you gave your name as Myrtle Nicholas at the police station. Defendant. I did, yes. I was drunk. I was not disorderly, though. Detective Constable Vincent, in answer to his Worship, said that before the Kwang Sai left the Canton Wharf, the defendant had gone on board during the early part of the evening. She had no pass to go to Canton, and on being taken off by an officer, nearly fell over the gangway. The witness took her into custody for her own safety. He had received a lot of complaints about her going on these boats. She was a general nuisance down there altogether. Giving evidence, the witness said he was on the wharf last night examining the police passes. He saw the officers of the ship taking the defendant to the gangway. At the head of the gangway, she fell down and was only just saved from going overboard. She said she wanted to go to the King Edward Hotel and he got a rickshaw and put her into it. But she gave a lot of trouble... And he took her to the central police station. She was drunk and could not take care of herself. She swore at him. Defendant. I admit being drunk, but that was all. His Worship. The constable says you used obscene language to him. Defendant. I admit being drunk and I was going to the King Edward Hotel. If he had been a gentleman, he would have let me gone. The defendant was fined $10. Thanks to RTHK's Hugh Tiverton and Noreen Meir for lending their voices. I headed to Ned Kelly's last stand in Ashley Road, Chimsar Choi, which has been playing live music every night for the past 43 years I went there to see Colin Aitchison the band leader of the China Coast Jasmine. now usually Colin plays the trombone though he can also turn his musical talent to the trumpet among other instruments but to mark programme regular Dr Dan Waters' 95th birthday Colin had another plan
2: well I thought for Dan since he's for this wonderful young gentleman, I thought it would be very nice to play Happy Birthday on the most special musical instrument that I play in Ned Kelly's in Hong Kong, which is the Hong Kong teapot. Off you go, then. Okay, so here we go. For Dan Waters, a very happy birthday from all of us at Ned Kelly's Last Stand. Uh, Anne-Marie, for this special occasion, I must tune up. Hold on. No! That's I think that's perfectly in tune perfectly in tune And now one octave higher Birthday, Dan. From all of us at Ned Kelly's. Colin
0: Aitchison of the China Coast, Jasmine at Ned Kelly's Last Stand. Dr. Dan Waters came to Hong Kong in 1954. I asked him about what sounds he used to hear that may have changed or disappeared from our urban soundscape.
2: When I came off the boat in mid-fifties, a friend, a friend I made on the boat he said to me, "Well, where have they put you? Where are they put you? The government." I said, oh, they put me in Winner House, a small hotel in North Point on King's Road. And the trams used to come past at 6 o'clock in the morning, and they used to ring the bell, you know. They were very fond of ringing the bell in those days, and then later people complained. But the bell used to ring, and as far as I was concerned, I loved it, I loved that bell. And then I was in the uh, Winner House, a small hotel, for two months. And then we moved to Conduit Road. And then I used to walk along there, along Conduit Road. It was like a country road in those days. And I sometimes, believe it or not, I used to hear barking deer from the peak. Men used to come round, old men used to come round, street criers, you can call them. One-on-one used to come round, I remember regularly, haven't seen him for years. I moved here in 1955 for six months. Then we went away and then we came back. And uh, we came back again in 1976. Oh, so to Conduit Road. That's right. Back to Conduit Road in 1976. And there was this old man who used to collect scrap metal. And that was one. Another one I remember, who we used to patronise a bit, used to sharpen knives. He had a grinding machine, a hand grinder. They all called out. But then there was another man who used to sell lengths of bamboo for drying the clothes. And they used to shout out, Longsam, longsam, my joke, longsam. Means hang out the clothes, and my jock by my bamboo. But we never bought any, be perfectly truthful, because we've always had a little uh, metal rat. In actual fact, they used to throw up newspapers as well up into the balconies, not here, but down below.
0: So that you'd have newspaper selling, uh, sellers throwing up these they used to newspapers, be rolled, rolled in a bundle,
2: and there was an elastic band round. And so it was fairly small and compact, and they would throw it up, and it would go right up to the balcony. So, what floor do you reckon that they could get up to doing that? Four or five, or something like that. I, we don't get it here now, but I can remember at one time where we used to live, they used to be what they call dirt yolk, dirt yolk, and uh, they used to have uh, meat on the chopping board, and they used to hit it like this. The Chinese used to hit it like this. What, with a cleaver? Yes, with a cleaver, flat. And the uh, the purpose of this was to tenderise it, tenderise the meat. The noise used to go right the way through the building. That was very common years ago. Ah. And also, of course, uh, people went but travelled by ship years ago. I mean, I came by ship when I left on my first and second leave... Uh, I went by ship, but on the other hand, there used to be parties on the ship to see people off, and there were streamers, and the band played, and all that sort of thing, Uh, and the band would be on the shore. Uh, They would hire the police band, but uh, brass band, and it was quite an elaborate ceremony, and uh, Yes, a lot of old sentimental songs such as "Old Lang Syne and things like that. <laughs>
0: That would be when you went on leave.
2: That's right. It was long leave in those days, of course, because when I came, uh, you did four years. Uh, You did a tour of four years. And then, after that, uh, you had had travelling time. So, I mean, uh, it would amount to about seven months' leave, and then you had a month going on the ship, because when we came out it took uh, 31 days to come out from Southampton to Hong Kong by ship.
0: And what would the liner have been? Would it have been a P&O? Uh,
2: There was P&O, but you could go by uh, Italian, Lloyd Triestino, and you could go by uh, French boat as well, the Marseille and the Victoria. So, I mean... Uh, There were other lines as well. And some people didn't like it because you had to dress for dinner every night uh, and therefore they objected and so therefore they wanted to go by freighter. They went by freighter.
0: So they didn't have that daily bother.
2: That's right. Was Hong Kong quieter? Well, no. Uh, We used to walk around, for example, starting from when I was in... uh, in um, Winner House, and uh, there was a general hubbub, and there's sort of a ge- always been a general bustle about Hong Kong.
0: My thanks to Lawrence Lai, Dan Waters, and Colin Aitchison. Next week, artist Eric Niebuhr tells me about his fascination with Hong Kong's dragonholes. Thanks for listening, and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.